Some of us have something that we've been carrying around for a long time. And when the room gets quiet, when the moment is there where you have a time to process and think, your mind goes to those moments when you've truly been hurt. Your mind can go to those people who have hurt you in such a way that they're in your head. What they've done to you is stuck there, and you feel like, I don't know what to do with this. We have to figure it out. This is the art of forgiveness. This is what this unconditional series is about. It's recognizing those moments and realizing we can't allow the hurt in our past to own us because of the resentment and anger we have towards other people. Now, during this series, I keep coming back to this story. It's in the Old Testament. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph and his colorful coat of many colors, right? And I think this story is fascinating. We can get stuck on that coat of many colors, and we, and we fail to read the story. Do you ever do that with, like, certain Bible passages or stories that are, you, you know them well enough, and you kind of feel like, oh, I know that story. Let me find a different one. You know, we do that with Jonah, and we miss the point. We do that with different places. We miss the point. This is one of those stories where you can take it, and you can kind of see one thing, but if we live with it for a while, if we start to turn the cube and look at it in different places, we can find so much in the story to mind, to pull out, to understand, and we find different places that it connects. So I kept coming back to the story over and over and over again because I saw an incredible amount of forgiveness in the story. Something we can, some things we can learn from this story that I think can, can help us and, and we can see and we can figure out how can I apply this and what would that look like for my life. I don't want to lift Joseph up, and I want to be careful about this. I don't want to lift Joseph up as some moral character, you know, go be like Joseph. That's, that's not it. Because if you try to just be like Joseph, we're going to fail. This is why we need Jesus. We recognize that I can't just try harder. I need a Savior. But that doesn't mean we can't look here and see what Joseph can show us about what it looks to live like Jesus. Does that make sense? So this story, Joseph was incredibly hurt. His brothers, and I'm going to tell the story a little bit again, his brothers were filled with um, all sorts of um, jealousy towards Joseph. They kind of had a scarcity mentality about everything. We're going to see that here in a second. One of the ways that they had a scarcity element was about the love of their father. So Joseph gets this colorful coat. Um, he's considered, you know, the favorite, is at least how the author tells it. Part of the reason I think he tells it that way is because that's what the brothers are feeling. They, they look at Joseph and they say, see, Joseph, he's the favorite. See, in the beginning of the story, we, we need to feel how the brothers feel because it helps us see the shift and the change later on in the story. So, so here, here's, here's what happens. When you're young, right, when you look at your family and you look at the dynamic you have within your family, it's easy to look and say, you know what, my sister or my brother or whoever... They're the favorite, and they've always been the favorite, right? And they might look at you and feel the same way. Oh, they've always been the favorite, right? That's how these brothers feel. They have a scarcity mentality. Now, this is hard to understand until you're a parent. And the favorite thing and, and, and love isn't really a scarcity issue. Love a parent has for their children, it's, it's not like a pie that gets smaller. It's a multiplier, isn't it? I mean, I didn't recognize this until Emily was born. And when Emily was born, I was like, wow. I, I didn't know what it was like to live before I had a child. I, I didn't know what this was like. 
And you hold that child and you think, how can you possibly love anything more than this, right? And then when Jill was pregnant, I was thinking, we're going to have a second one. What am I going to do? How do I find more love? I mean, it doesn't exist, right? I mean, I'm going to have to divide my love somehow here, right? Is that right? Or, or I'm going to end up with a favorite, and what's that going to look like, right? How do you do this? And, and then Maggie was born. And that love, it didn't get divided. It didn't get split. It didn't get, you know, it was multiplied. It's, it's the craziest, most incredible thing. And as a parent, it helped me understand something, that, that, that love, it, love is not a thing. That has to be divided up. It's a thing that continues to multiply over and over and over again if we would allow it to do that. Joseph's brothers didn't get this. So they look at Joseph and they say, you know what? You're just the favorite. If we get rid of you, maybe we can have more of that love. If we get rid of you, maybe your portion will come back to us. So they kind of think about it and we we hear what they're thinking in the text. What if we kill him? We'll just kill him. Another brother's like, that's a terrible idea. Kill him? Well, you know what we'll do? We'll put him in this pit over here. We'll make it look like he was killed. They're trying to figure all this stuff out, right? Well, how the story goes is they eventually sell Joseph off to some slave traders. They take him down to Egypt. He becomes a slave in Egypt. For 13 years, he has enough time to build up all sorts of resentment and anger I mean, if I'm angry enough to yell in the shower about some dude that told me to move my car, what does 13 years of anger and resentment look like? Some of you know. Some of you have 13 years or more of built-up resentment and anger and frustration and unfinished business in your heart, right? You get it. And, and so, so he's in this place where he could allow this to build up. And, and for all we know, he could have died like this. Joseph's brothers thought he would have died a slave. They had no idea how the story was going to play out. But what we know from the text is that what happens is that Joseph ends up through a series of incredible, uh, incredible situations becoming a ruler in Egypt. He becomes um, kind of a commander of the Egyptian uh, uh, country, kingdom, and he becomes in charge of all of this stuff. In particular, he becomes in charge of all of their grain, which in that time is a huge deal because he's feeding the entire country. So he has all this responsibility. A famine hits the entire ancient world, and everybody's going, what are we going to do? Now, this isn't a sort of, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive this? It's, if we don't get food, we're dead. Our people die off. Our tribe dies off. This is the end of the road for all of us. We have to do something. Everybody looks back to Egypt and they go, ha, they have grain. They have grain. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can get some grain there. Maybe we can go to that place. Maybe they'll provide for us. So Joseph's brothers go to Egypt and they think they're just going to go and they're going to ask for grain and maybe they'll get grain and they'll be able to survive. And again, they're in this scarcity model, right? This is their world. So they get down there, and we find their horror when they look up and they realize who's on the throne. It's their brother. Like, can you even begin to imagine what that would feel like? Knowing that you sold him into slavery, you tried to make it look like he was dead, and now you realize he's on the throne looking down at you, and you're thinking, well, this is the end. This this is it. He's going to get his revenge. It's been a nice ride for 13 years. This is how my life ends, right? 
So these guys beg for mercy. They're down on their hands and knees. We are your slave. Forgive us. We're so sorry. Would you just give us some grain? We Oh, anything you need. You know, we are asking for, desperately here asking for forgiveness. And the story kind of takes a weird twist because humanity would probably not offer forgiveness. Humanity says, and in that, mo- in that moment, Joseph crushed his enemies. and He moved on and had a wonderful life. That's the, that's the story we would tell. But he doesn't. He looks at his brothers and he says, okay, yes, yeah, I forgive you. And, and listen, this is what we learned. This is how he talked about it. Joseph said to them, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That, that's even just the hard part. Like Just that first line. I want my enemies trembling. I don't want to look at them and go, don't be afraid. Everything's going to be fine. That's not, that's not the human mindset. That's not how we think. I think I want to get this guy back. I, I want a little fear and trembling. You know, you almost want to be like, psych, it's okay. <laughs> he says, no, 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 don't be afraid, guys. Am I in the place of God? It's not my job. It's not my job to punish you. I don't need to do that. I'm not picking up the sword. I'm not going to pick up the sword because I know where that leads. That's where you guys were at. Your scarcity mindset, your anger, it led us here. I'm not, I'm not doing that. He, then he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Now, over the past couple of weeks, I'm going to read something that we have said over and over and over again. I put it in my notes over and over again because I think it matters. I think this is important. Joseph didn't minimize the pain that his brothers caused. He didn't push it under the rug. He didn't ignore it. He didn't say that it doesn't exist. He said it. He, but, he, but he also says, it's not my job. It's not my job to execute justice. So he saw his experience a different way. And then he says... So don't be afraid. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And if you haven't been here the past couple weeks, we found an incredible reality in this passage. The word intended has the same root in Hebrew as the word weave. It's so cool and so, I think, powerful. And we have to get our minds around this. That this idea that people look at our lives and and somewhere, somewhere somebody comes into our lives and they take a spot in our lives and they begin to unravel our life. They have control over it. They, 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 it seems like they have control over every aspect of it, and they, they make it a mess. And it looks like what they're doing is they're weaving a story that we don't want to tell. They're weaving a story of pain that leads to resentment. That leads to, So think about this, right? This is Joseph. You are weaving a story that was supposed to put me in slavery. You are weaving a story that was destroying my life. No. He says, you don't get the last word. He said, God took where you left off, and he took all of that dirt and that mess and that tattered ends of, of anger. He said, God began to weave it into something nobody could even begin to imagine. Not you, not me. That is the God that I believe in. It's a powerful metaphor. Can you imagine if that was our lives? We look around and we said, look, I'm not going to let it affect me. What you're trying to do what you intend for evil in my life, no, you don't get to own it. My life was paid by a much bigger price. You don't get to own it. 
God's going to take the end of my life, these tattered ends, he's going to weave them into something beautiful. That's faith. That's trust. That's what this forgiveness is about. I don't need to get you back. I don't need to do something. I don't need to pay you back because I'm going to allow God to weave the rest of the story. You're not going to tell my story. And my anger and my resentment's not going to tell my story. I'm going to stop and I'm going to trust God with your sin. And I'm going to trust God with the rest of my story. That, that's the power in this. Now listen, now listen. This is another thing we wrote down here. That forgiveness is not allowing people to hurt us over and over again. So it also doesn't mean sitting there and going, okay, now here, you've destroyed all this. Take the rest of it. Do it again. We're not supposed to sit there and say, okay, keep hurting me over and over and over again. That's not what's happening here. It's not sweeping away pain. It's, it's not forgetting the hurt. It's just simply trusting. That part of my story, you hurt me. You're not going to do it again. But God's got it from here. God has the ability to redeem all things. Work all things together for good, even when it seems impossible. Now this is going to lead us then to the end of this. Because we could stop. This is where the story, we could end it. We could say, man, that's a really cool story. That is really awesome what happens there. But I want you to see something. I started to look back at the story. I said, is there something else we can find here? And there is. Listen what happens. And and this, I think, is honestly the most difficult aspect of forgiveness to teach and to learn. We find at the end of Joseph's story, this is Genesis chapter 50, um, right at the very end. Listen to this. So Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Let's hear these words again. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It could stop there, but he says verse 21. Listen to verse 21. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. See, he didn't just, he didn't like forgive them. He didn't say, okay, I forgive you. Now, good luck. I forgive you. Go back. I hope you find some grain. I hope everything works out for you. Let's see what happens. I'm entrusting you to God. (laughs) It's God's job to to get you what you need, right? He doesn't. Listen to what he says. He says, I will provide for you and your children. So he takes what he has, and he shows them scarcity is not going to work anymore. Our grain that we have is yours. I'm going to share it with you and with your children. It's like he says, you know, the moment that you thought that our father's love was limited, you didn't get it. And you think that my love is going to be limited. You think that our grain is going to be limited. It's not. Joseph, if you think about this, he gets down off this throne and he says, let me serve you. Let me serve you. Let me serve your families. Let me open the grain silos. Let me go get that for you. I'm going to provide for you and for your families. It's awesome. Now, there are people, and this has kind of been the way that the church has always sort of operated, is that they've looked back at passages. And we, we, we look and we see what we call messianic shadows. So it's these stories where we look back and we say, man, that moment right there, There's something about that that reminds me of something that Jesus did. 
it's kind of cool when you start to do this. You start to look back and you start to see these moments, these things, these places taking place throughout the scriptures. And you say, it's like I'm finding Jesus here and I'm finding Jesus there and I'm finding Jesus here. It's good for us. We need to do this because it allows us to take passages in the Old Testament and see these places where there's all these connections. We can begin to see the thread of the goodness and the love and the mercy and the justice of Jesus throughout it. And so when we get to Jesus, we say, I feel like I've read this before somewhere. I feel like I've seen this before somewhere, right? There's a place that we see this, where where we have this idea of someone coming up off their throne, full of power and might, coming down and serving. And when we see this, it teaches us a way to live that I think, first of all, offers forgiveness to others, but I think actually Short circuits anger. It short circuits resentment. It short circuits scarcity. It short circuits this idea that I'm better than you or you're better than me or I'm stronger than you or you're stronger than me. It sets the plane level. Listen to these passages. This is the story of Jesus at the end of his life with his disciples. He's in a room, he's having a meal with them. And I love this. This is one of my favorite stories. It's in the book of John, chapter 13. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who's going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, it's hard for us to imagine, and there's all sort of commentary in this text, and it kind of breaks up the story a little bit, right? We find this little commentary, this little bracketed sentence of, oh, he knew who was going to betray him, right? So we see that. We see these little moments where he says, you know, have this kind of inner dialogue going on with Peter, right? Kind of breaks it up a little bit. But I want us to understand the context, because I think the context sets it up so well. Now, we don't imagine this. We don't walk a lot, right? We drive everywhere. But in that day and age, you walked everywhere. And you walked on streets that were dirty, streets that were messy, streets that were rock and sand. And and you walked maybe in sandals, but a lot of times barefoot. Your feet were a mess. And you would walk to somebody's house, and you would go inside their front room And off to the side, they would have had a basin. They would have had a set of towels. They would have had a slave, a servant, who would have been there ready to wash your feet because you were the guest coming into this house. Now, what's cool about this is this had nothing to do with, oh, your feet are dirty. Don't get my rug dirty. It's not what this is about. These are still dirt floors. These are still, this isn't like nice carpet that just got cleaned by somebody, okay? That's not what's going on here. And we'll quickly miss the story if that's what we think, right? This isn't like, take your shoes off, respect my house. It's nothing like that. This is the host. This is the homeowner saying, I understand the journey that it took you to get here. 
I understand that along the way you picked up all sorts of road dust and painful stuff going on here. I, I want your feet to be refreshed. I welcome you into my home with refreshed feet. So the servant would come along and he would kneel down and he would begin to wash this person's feet, refreshing their feet from this long journey that they had been on. So Jesus is in this room and there's this basin of water. There's a towel here. And during this meal, he gets up and I just love this because Jesus just sort of does this thing and everybody's in shock. I need you to see that everybody is in shock in that room. These disciples have no idea what to do. Jesus wraps this towel around the waist, and he begins to go around washing his disciples' feet. And I don't think they're quiet because they're going, yeah, it's about time. It's not what's happening here. They're going, what are you doing? They're in shock. They can't believe the situation. Peter apparently is the only one that has the ability to say anything at all and says, what are you doing? You wash my feet. You're my Lord. Lord is this word that means master, owner. We can't get around it. That's the text. And he looks and he says, Lord, what are you doing? You're, you're You're not the doulos. You're not the servant. This isn't the way this is supposed to work. And Jesus says, well, then you have no part with me. If you won't allow me to do this, you have no part with me. You have no community with me. You don't belong in this space with us if you don't do this. Now, there's all sorts of really interesting stuff happening here. So think about this for a minute. There's there's no doubt that these disciples over the last several years have collected road dust, right? Not, not just physical road dust, spiritual dust. You're telling me that guys who, who gave up their jobs and their lifestyles and all of the things that they did, don't you think they have a little bit of, where's this going? They have a little bit of, okay, what's happening here? They've got a, a lot of stuff going on, right? They have some infighting happening among the group. Right before this, they're all yelling at each other, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. No, you're not the greatest. I'm the greatest. Don't you think they're kind of, yeah, he thinks he's the greatest. <laughs> right? Like there's all sorts of stuff going on. There's, uh, this is just resentment and bitterness and all sorts of ugly stuff building up. That's what happens in human life. Imagine traveling for three years with 12 dudes. You're going to have a little road dust in your life, right? Jesus says, listen, You've got to take that off. Peter says, well, I'll wash my whole body then. I love this. This is cool. She says, you don't need a bath. Talked about baptism a while back. You don't need to be rebaptized. You don't need to, you're, you don't need to be reacclimated into this. You just gathered some road dust on your feet. You need refreshed. You need renewed. You, need, you just need your feet washed off. Now, think about this. So he's going around. Did you hear that little bit of snip, like that little bit of thing? He even washes the feet of Judas, the very person who would betray him. The text says that Jesus knew. How did he know? I don't, I don't know. All, I don't know. He knew. That's incredible. 
it, it amazes me. It's, it's shocking to me that Jesus would go around washing these people's feet and washing the feet of the very person who would hurt him the most. And don't think like Peter gets away with anything. You know, we got doubters here. We got Thomas hanging out. We got Peter who's going to deny him. You know, Jesus says, oh, this, this is what we're supposed to do. You need your feet washed. No matter what you've done, no matter where we're at right here, no matter what's going to happen in the future, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to take some of that road dust off. For some of us, we're going to feel called. As we begin to pray about this and think about it and look, what does forgiveness look like? We're going to feel like, you know what? I need to be like Joseph. I need to get up off my throne I need to come down to this place. I need to serve the people who even hurt me. Some of us are going to get to this place where we need to be like Jesus. And even the people who hurt us and will hurt us the most, we're going to wash their feet. Because Jesus pushes this off onto us. Listen to what he says. Now that I, your Lord, Kyrios, okay, master, okay, now that I, your master, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, I considered washing someone's feet today. I wanted to show this physically. I wanted to give a representation of this. But then what I thought was, I also don't want to distract us from what's happening here. And for some of us, we're weirded out by feet. We're weirded out by the whole washing of feet thing. It it seems kind of strange. So I want to take us to another passage. I want you to see the Apostle Paul. This is in Galatians. A few years after this moment, communities of faith are building around the way of Jesus. And Paul, who started several of these communities, he says something which I think is very similar to what Jesus is saying here. You need to wash each other's feet, just as I have done for you. You need to get off the throne. You need to come down. Realize we are all equal here. We all serve each other. Did you see what it said? Serve each other. Wash each other's feet. He didn't say, okay, so Peter, now you're going to wash everybody else's feet. No, no, no. Wash each other's feet. This isn't like, okay, let's get this done. Let's get this over with. This is going to take a while. They're all, you got to wash my feet, i got to wash your feet, I'm going to wash your feet, and you're going to wash my feet. This is going to take some time, but you know in that time, and that reality, they're going to realize what this picture is all about. What does it look like to serve each other in this way? Listen to how Paul says it. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And I know at first you read that and you kind of go, what does that have to do with what Jesus was doing? Well, well, here, listen to this. The ugly reality of sin is that it isn't something we experience alone. If your only understanding of sin is that sin is something that you do alone that stays in your life and you sort of look and go, oh yeah, this has no effect on anybody else, but I feel really bad about it then you're missing the point of sin. Sin moves beyond us. It has an effect on those around us. That's the problem with sin. Sin isn't something that is just on our own and and, and affects only us. It's not a solitary reality. 
I think this is the problem that we have in our Western world is that we've created this concept of sin as an individual reality. We've created salvation as an individual reality. And there's nothing about that in the New Testament. Sin and salvation don't, don't sit as individual realities. They are communal. These things affect you, the world around you. Somebody's sin has hurt you. Your sin has hurt someone else. The hard road that someone walks that's filled with resentment and road dust and anger and frustrations and all that stuff that you begin to carry, you didn't gather all that on your own. It's because somebody else left all that junk on the road and you just pick it up. Whether they left it on purpose, whether they did it to you on purpose, or if it was just reality of what they did, you've got some of that left on you. So Paul looks and he says, look, here's the deal. Brothers and sisters, someone caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So look, there's all this road dust on them, and we'll get to ourselves here in a second, but there's all this road dust on you. And you say, listen, let me refresh you. Let me restore you. I see the mess that you've got going on. Can I help? I like that he says, do it gently. You didn't see Jesus coming out with some kind of scrub brush. He wasn't like, Peter, you got this horse here, right? He's not like, he's not like attacking him, right? He gently washed their feet. That's how we're to treat each other. I'm not going to come all up in your business, screaming at you, yelling at you. Hey, look. I've been there too. Can I, can I help? Can, can, I, can I restore and refresh you? Can I help remind you about the peace and the love of Jesus? That, that's what's going on here. Carrying each other's burdens. Having empathy for those around us. Washing the feet of those around us. Restoring, renewing those around us. Opening up the door that the person looks back at you and says, can I do the same for you? That when I offer the peace of Christ to you, that you'll say also with you. See, what this means is it's looking at someone else with empathy. It's extending the limitless love, grace, and mercy and forgiveness that has been given to us. It's recognizing that the love of God is not a scarcity issue. It's a multiplier. Now look, now here, listen to this. Now we see with Judas, this does not always end in peace. This doesn't always work out the way that we thought it was going to work. But this is the beginning of that journey of reconciliation for many of our stories. And, And we do this because this is the way of Jesus. Now, here's what I don't expect. It's why I don't have like boxes of basins and towels and stuff. Because it would be weird. If you, after lunch, took your car, drove over, knocked on someone's door with some water and a towel and said, may I wash your feet? Hear me out. That might just work. Maybe in the situation that you're in with someone, maybe that is the only thing that is going to break down that wall. Because they're going to look at you and they're going to go, are you nuts? Are you crazy? And you say, yes. Because I can't live with this any longer. I can't do this anymore. And you say, I'll do whatever it takes to start reconciliation today. 
I don't know what your basin, what your towel, what your water, I don't know what that's going to look like in your life. It might be physical. It might be that you take that basin and a towel and that water over. It might be something completely different. You, only you know. You have that relationship with that individual. You know what it's going to take to break down that wall that is opened up between you. You know what is going to start you down the path of reconciliation with that person. But here's what I do know. I absolutely know this. Somebody has to start. Somebody has to be the person to knock on the door. Somebody has to be the person to make the phone call. Somebody has to be willing to take the chance to start reconciliation. Why isn't that someone you? You guys remember Home Alone? Do you remember in the church when Kevin's looking at the, at the, the man from his neighborhood, the old guy? And he's like, why don't you call your son? <laughs> this moment, he's like, well, what if you won't answer? Well, you won't know if you don't try, right? It's the logic of a kid. Some of us just need the logic of our kids that look at us and go, what are you doing? Why don't you call your friend? Why don't you call your dad? Why don't you call your mom? Why don't you call your brother? What, what's stopping you from calling that person that hurt you a long time? What, why can't you begin the path of reconciliation? Why are you waiting on them? And here's the deal. If you're a Jesus follower, this isn't a game that we get to play. If you're a Jesus follower, you are the person who's supposed to take the towel. You are the one who's supposed to begin. Now, 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 as we close, listen to this. What would it look like in our world? What would it look like in this community if we were feet washing people? What what if we were the kind of people who looked around and said, I'm not going to wait until someone gets hurt. I'm not going to wait until there's some kind of wall between us. I'm not going to wait until all of that happens. I'm not going to wait until my feet are dust covered to do this. What if this was just simply how the church was? What if we took what Jesus said and we just looked around and said, it is my responsibility to wash the feet of those around me. It is my responsibility to refresh and renew you and help you along the journey. I'm not going to judge you for your feet. I'm not going to judge you for the junk on your feet. I'm not going to judge you for your stankiness going on. That's not, that's, not my, that's not what I'm here for. My job is to wash your feet. My job is just to simply say, how can I serve you? Because you're my brother. You're my sister. That's the language Paul uses, brothers and sisters. That'd be awesome. If that's the kind of people we were. Let's not be the brothers like, Joseph had. Let's not see this as having limitless love. Let's not think of ourselves as higher than someone else. I'm a better Christian than you are. All of that. Just cut the nonsense. Let's find that person in our community. Let's be willing to look at each other and go, I'm here. Let me refresh you. And let's just see what happens as we become a foot washing community. We forgive each other. And we actually set up a place where where that reconciliation is happening all the time. That is the kind of community that makes people go, I want some of that. That's the kind of place I want to be. Guys, it's no joke. People are looking at the church right now in our world and saying, man, church people are just angry. They're bitter people. They're stuck up. Oh, 
Let's be serving people. Let's be loving people. Let's be merciful people. Let's be non-judgmental people. Let's be people who are refreshing and renewing each other. And let's make that so contagious that we begin to refresh and renew our world. That's the kind of people we're supposed to be. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would shift in our hearts in such a way. Just move in our hearts. God, cause us to be the kind of people that when we leave this space today, we begin to think, what, what crazy thing can I do to begin to reconciliation in these relationships in my life? How can I begin to break down the walls and the barriers that build up around me and the people who have hurt me? God, what can I do to begin that path of reconciliation? God, help us in this church, Southeast, to be feet-washing people, to renew and refresh, to carry each other's burdens, and not just talk about it. God, help us to move to a place of not simply being people who just say it. Help us to do it. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen.